Hey, fastball fans, teammates, umpires, scorekeepers, the whole works. Welcome to our first podcast here today. Well, beat the drum and hold the phone. The sun came out today. Now, I'm not going to sing to you. I'm just not sure about trademark on this first podcast. So I grabbed my mandolin and it's one of my projects, post-fastball hobby list here. And I'm enjoying learning it and uh, just thought we could talk about fastball. I'll tell my story. It's not that interesting, but uh, I think if everybody tells their own, we can uh, put together a pretty neat podcast. What I can do, because I've got a home studio, we could do it by telephone and you can tell me or I can ask you questions to prod you along. But I'll tell my story and maybe we can get the ball rolling. And that was the whole idea when this thing was uh, put together to have a Penticton Fastball Remembers page, right? And uh, neat to see some of the posts coming up. They're going back way before I started in the Penticton Men's Fastball League in 1990, but was familiar to the league when I moved from Creston to uh, Osuius to work in radio and played in the Oliver Men's Fastball League. Right. So I'll just tell my story, how it started, how I got interested in fastball, and uh, I'm sure that many of the stories start the same because you're watching the older guys play, the men getting off work and uh, running down to the diamond after supper and playing their game. Of course, I was born and raised in Creston, and at the time the fastball league played right beside the sawmill, across the field, across the road in the uh, the high school fields, and there was just uh, one, two diamonds kind of back to back, side by they actually they weren't side by side. There one was a one extreme end of the field and one at the other, and uh, one, when the foul balls came, they ended up down in a creek, and that's kind of where the kids, me and my good friend Alex, came in. We'd run all the balls back and throw them back to the, the umpire so the guys could play, and we thought we were pretty important, and that's kind of where it started. I think we were 9, 10 years old at that time, and we make it a point to get down to the games, and of course you you get to know the players you like and you watch, and for me, I was always fascinated watching the pitchers. I didn't care who was throwing. I just thought it was kind of neat that they could whip a ball around that way. I thought it was interesting. And Alex, my friend, he ended up being a very good shortstop. In fact, he's uh, getting set to retire at Tech Kaminko. Kind of lost track with him for many, many years. He was a dynamite shortstop and uh, could have played in better ball, I'm sure, one of these guys. And every small town's got their story of the guy that could have went here and done that. But Alex was one of the exceptional ones. And as we did all that as kids, the odd time, if you were at the park when the, the men were practicing, they'd hit you fall ball, uh, fly balls, which is kind of cool. They'd let you stand out in the field with the fielders. And we thought that was pretty neat. And every once in a while, they'd move aside and let you have one. And when you're that little and the balls are coming down from up high, it's like they're coming down from space. <laughs> and they land pretty hard. So, <laughs> But uh, it was always fun doing that. But it did introduce us to the game. And uh, our Creston League, even though it was a small town, and I'm sure everybody will say the same, they, there was a ton of teams back then. And even by the time I got up to playing in the league, we had nine teams, and then ten when we added one across the border, and I'll tell you about that in a bit. But how did you get your break playing the game? For me, we kind of had to make our own. At the time, the, the Creston Men's League, you almost had to know somebody, one of the men in the league, it seemed like a lot of the sons of the players would always get in, but to put a young team in, they wanted the guys to go to the bar with them and all that stuff after, so we started a team in high school, and we were called the Esso Oilers, and we just used hockey jerseys, we had no pants, like we we just, we didn't have proper ball pants, so we all had the same jerseys, we took them out of the hockey arena, they were the midget rep sweaters, if I remember correctly. And, uh, yeah, it was the S.O. Oilers, so we took them from, from them. And uh, Gordy Balkum was the S.O. 
agent at the time. Actually, he was from Vernon or Penticton, thinking back on that. And we just used those as our ball uniforms. And uh, we practiced a lot before our first game. And we played Mayday Electric. And it was kind of interesting because they were kind of the group of guys that were just a little bit ahead of us, maybe three and four years ahead of us. And it's opening game, and I'm one of the pitchers, and the other is a, uh, a year younger than me, Walter Dudoff, who was a really good hockey player, a lot better thrower than me. I might have had a bit better control, but I just couldn't throw that hard. <laughs> so you're saying, oh, you're, it was the same back then, yeah. But on game day, I think the nerves just got to him. We had agreed that he would start because he was the better of the two throwers. And game day, he was really nervous. I mean, we're looking there, and you know, we're playing against men, and they're, you know, they played for a while, and and uh, they're not going to make it easy for us either. It's not one of these things where they were nurturing. It's like, you know what? If you punks want to play in this league, you better you better be able to do it. So uh, we went out. We lost 10-4, but uh, I I went the entire seven innings. What's interesting looking back though is how tightly they were calling calling pitching back then with the feet on the rubber. And you couldn't swing past your hip twice either. And uh, I'd got called a few times, but they start early on you. And I thought, okay, here we go. And that's why to this day, I always dug my foot in real. We used to dig right into that, into the mound. But as I moved along, the the umpiring and the pitching rules were uh, quite a bit different from community to community. We'll talk about that later. But yeah, you know, in our little town of Creston, we had nine teams, soon to be ten as uh, Bonners Ferry, Idaho came into the league, which was really cool because they uh, they would roll up. They were called Anderson's Logging, and uh, yeah, we were the SO Oilers. And uh, from the SO team, it only lasted one year because some of the players really realized once they got up there, it was, a, number one, it was a commitment, and number two, we're playing against guys that are bigger and stronger than us. And uh, by the next year, Alex, my good friend, the, the shortstop, he, st- he got picked up by a team, and uh, I started working at the radio station and didn't have a whole lot of time to play, but I got picked up as pitching with Southern Interior Express. They had the six on their uniforms. They were a bunch of truck drivers. But I think I think I made like five games that year. I just, just couldn't get out to play because of um, my work. And then when I would get there, I wasn't ready to go. And by then, they, they pretty much had the pitching staff. I never was let off the roster. The next year, though, was really good. Overweighty formed a team, and there was only three of us that didn't work in the store. And they picked me up with a guy that had played for quite some time. And uh, it's a pretty good combination. We were kind of kind of middle of the pack, but with the, the nine and then ten teams with Bonners, the top four made the playoffs. So we seemed to be just under all the time. So we were kind of the, the 50-50 team in there and uh, learned what I could from them. They were the, the best player on the team was actually the, the store manager, and he had come down from Kamloops. He played some pretty good ball. Who ended up in Penticton at the liquor store, Brian Henderson. He was definitely the best player on the team. And uh, the third baseman I got really close to, his name was Tony. He was a good guy because uh, I wasn't one of the better pitchers in the league, but he always stuck up for his pitcher, which I thought was pretty cool. And uh, he was pretty busy on third base, as you usually are when you're playing the game properly. And uh, my catcher at that time was a really good guy. I think he worked for Community Services and Brian Ross. And he w- he was, I think he was probably the oldest on the team. And he was good because he'd, he'd played ball all over the place. And he'd caught for some pretty good pitchers too, but he was uh, he was very nurturing. We played there for a couple of years, and, and then... 
it kind of it got to be one of those situations where the the store manager, of course, he's got to listen to all the BS at work all day and then hear it at the ballpark. He decides to change teams. While it probably wouldn't have been such a big deal, except when you're the best player on the team and you're changing to go to a better team, didn't go over so well. So there was a little bit of shake up there. But we played one more year, and then. Uh, I got asked to play for Awards Auto, which is kind of neat. We had a First Nations pitcher there named Jack Belcourt, who I liked. I think Jack is still with us. And uh, he and I threw together, and he was very fair. We were 50-50. Jack could throw a lot harder than I could. And uh, Jack never trained too much, though. So he was good to he was good to about the third inning. He'd run out of steam. He was was a switch hitter, though. Pretty good guy. We had a lot of fun there. And... uh, I think my claim to fame with that team was we when we left Overweighty we'd finished um, yeah we we'd finished in fifth we just missed the playoffs because the top five make it so then I went to Ward's Auto they'd finished in seventh and the year that I came over and they picked up this young guy named Mark Pommier playing second who's another good friend of mine uh, we put them from seventh place to sixth so they <laughs> they won one more game so we <laughs> tease us about that but anyway. I held my own in that league anyway. And then from there, the radio station was getting bought out, and uh, off I was, leaving Creston, not knowing I would be. I put uh, I put 40 reel-to-reel tapes in my little truck, and I just bombed all around BC and dropped off tapes. Didn't know if I'd still be in radio, and here it is 40 years later. But anyway, I'd got home, and, and my mom said, some guy from Osuius called, wondered if you wanted to go over there for an interview, so I did and got the job the same day. So I had all my equipment hauled over on a on a beer truck, believe it or not. The Kokanee truck friends hauled it over, and I stayed at the Rialto Hotel. But uh, there was a rec hockey meeting that night, so I got on a team. And I think it was our third game playing in the rec hockey league, and uh, we were just sitting there BSing after the game, having a beer. I liked that league. They had six teams. There was no junior hockey then, and we had a lot of, we had a lot of attention in that league. But the teams would drink together after... And, uh, you know, the guys are being pretty good. Hey, where are you in from Creston? What's it, you know, they're, they're, we're just ch- chatting. And what else do you do? Do you play ball too? And I said, oh, yeah, I play fastball. And they said in the dressing room, well, we only have one team here. I said, really? Yeah, and there's five in Oliver. I said, oh, that's kind of cool. You want to meet the guy from Osui? So I did. It was Doug Eisenhut. And I still remember the first thing he said to me. He said, well, you got to be pretty good to play on our team. And I thought, oh, <laughs> okay, I had no idea. <laughs> I thought, okay, interesting. So the ball season's going to start, and I phone up and I talk to, and I believe it was Doug Benest. I said, I'm new from Creston. I'm the guy on the radio here. and uh, You know, I'll try out for a team. I'd like to. So this Danny Rue guy talks to me. He goes, you can come out for our team. So I went out, pitched about three pitches. He goes, you're on the team. And I was pitching with this guy named David Dodge, who I believe is still a pharmacist down at um, Shoppers Drug Mart in, it might be IDA Drugstore now, in Oliver. And um, him and I were pitching back and forth batting practice. We had a lot of practices. Danny Root was really focused. His brother Timmy played then too. And um, come time for opening day and Danny thought, well, you know what? David Do- David David Dodge was Dale Dodge was here first, so and and he came up to me. Danny came up to me and he said, he "said Dennis, we're going to start Dale Dodge on opening day, and then you'll rotate all the way through." I said, "That's fine." So opening day comes and <laughs> a mirror back to Creston again. Opening day comes. I'm not scheduled to pitch, and uh, Danny Roos says Dale's not coming today. He cut his thumb cutting the turkey. It was Easter Easter dinner or something. He cut his thumb with the knife. I go, oh, "Okay," so I'm ready to go. 
and um, I won my first game 5 nothing, and it was against the Oliver Hotel Canadians. I, I'd, uh, yeah, and I think part of it, you know how it is when you come into a new league, they haven't seen you before. You've kind of got the advantage on everybody for a little while because they haven't seen you. And, uh, yeah, so that was kind of a good start, and I finished that season 13-5, and five, which wasn't that bad. And, and then uh, after that, there was other people in Osui, as I knew that from hockey, wanted to play. So I thought, well, geez, we can start our own team. So we did. And that, it was actually, it, there was some controversy over that because the Eisenhuts, who were the only team in Osuius, uh, they, they had their noses out of joint, and especially Doug, so uh, Doug Eisenhut. And of course, Doug Benest up the road, he was happy to hear a new team was coming. And, and we went in the same year as, no, we didn't. No, Southwind came the next year. I'll get to that later. Yeah, so so we join up in the, the Oliver League, and... Uh, we're Tony's Tigers the first year, and we had a we had a something went wrong with the the uniforms, and people had it. There, he he was going to make us pay for the uniforms. It was really odd. So then we ended up getting Castle Lumber as a sponsor. We were Castle the Castle Lumber Kings. But anyway, uh, it was kind of neat because now Osuius had two teams in our first game that we were supposed to play against our our main rivals, the Eisenhut Rookies. Um, we we played we ended up playing in Oliver. Because the first game of the year, we were playing against the Bighorns. We were to play against the Bighorns. And uh, I asked Doug Eisnett, I said, can we, you know, can, can I grab the bases for the game on Sunday? He goes, you want your own team, you get your own bases. Oh, okay. So I phoned Doug Benest. I says, Doug, I got a bit of an issue here for the game. I said, I don't have bases. I'm not going to go buy them out of my own pocket. Doug says, no problem. I'll bring them up. So they bring the bases up. And uh, we lost seven <laughs> three. Uh, it was it was a good first day though. It was at the the, the lower field at the Osuius Elementary School, which is where the Ice Nuts played their game. The only problem with that one was they had a really short right field fence. So if somebody could place hit even even in a basic place hit, they they could jack it out pretty easy. I didn't get one hit off me that day though, but they were to come later. But anyway, that's how that happened. And then. The uh, the second year, which had been my third year in that league, the second year in there, every once in a while I'd hear these pitchers going up to Penticton to throw. And I know that, that Bob Fiddler, God bless his soul, uh, he died, of course, as you know, uh, Ted Newman, if you're listening. And uh, I knew that he was being called up to play the odd time, and I believe he was throwing for the Native Sons when he was getting called up. And uh, maybe your friendship went before that. But anyway, I asked Doug Benest one day, I says, I'd like to go and play in that league one time. And uh, he said, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a caliber, it's a step up and everything like that. And he didn't say no. And I knew that Neil Eisenhut had been called up to play a couple times. And uh, the win-loss record, of course, the, the win-loss record was a lot better than mine. But I thought, well, he's got a bit of a stronger team too. And I pushed Doug a little bit on it. But all of a sudden, one night I was making supper and uh, the phone rings. It's Doug Benesti. He says, you got to come up to the Gables Pub. We need a pitcher tonight. Because he was, he was playing for Gables then. And so, man, I dropped everything, ripped up to Oliver, jumped in. I think we got a speeding ticket on the way up. Chris Cote, who was an RCMP officer who played in the Oliver League, he, he played for the, uh, the uh, Oliver Place Maulers with me and Danny Rue. So um, Doug's, Doug's trying to rush him along. We get up there. I think I had about 10 minutes to warm up. And... Uh, so that would have been 1986 or 87, and that was my actually my first time in the Penticton League. It wasn't in 1990 when I first came to live there. I'd actually came up to play, and that was against the Barley Mill that night. 
And uh, it was against Ray Haywood, and I lost four to one, and I was quite proud of that loss. I thought, man, um, I, I I went seven innings, and in uh, Gord Wiley actually, Glenn Wiley, he's the guy that he he ripped one out. It was the second inning. He was the number four batter. I'd went three up, three down in the first, and he jacked one. Jeez, I think it was over the road. And I turned around, and Tony Biola was playing short. And, of course, I didn't know Tony. I mean, here's this guy walks onto the field. Hey, we got a pitcher tonight. Thanks for coming. That's it. And this Tony walks in and goes, you know, he's he's going to come and <laughs> console me after this ball gets nailed into space. And he walks up there, and I look at this Tony guy, who I don't know at the time, Tony Biola, and I says, I think I threw the wrong pitch. Tony starts, he starts laughing, and he's a pretty serious guy. Doug Burness looks over. He says, what's this? They all come into the mound, and they, they can see that I wasn't rocked by it. I thought, what am I going to do? You know, I, he's their number four batter on this barley mill team I'd heard so much about. I thought, what the heck? If he puts one out, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. So I think that handling it that way it, it kind of showed leadership in a different sort of a way and uh, those guys were good all the way through so the next time he came up they said you want to walk him I said nah let's do it again and he he flied out the next time he hit it just as he hit it just as, as far in the air but uh, anyway Jeff Bourne was catching that night isn't that funny didn't think about this stuff till I started to uh, on that anyway so we played the the one year with uh, yeah the yeah, in Oliver for Danny Rue at the Oliver Place Maulers, and then my four years with the Castle Lumber Kings. And then I took a job in Kelowna and Radio, only to get laid off six weeks later and started working in Vernon. But I played in the, the Kelowna Intermediate League, which moved into King Stadium, and we'd play the opening games before the major men's games. And I was playing for the Molson Canadians uh, that year, and... Um, we won most of the games, but it was a weaker league. And then the next year, they they tightened up a little bit. And the 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 league, the the under league, I guess you'd call that. I think they called it an intermediate league under the Kelowna Major Men's Fastball League. I threw for Dorland, and I had a decent year there. Actually, I can't remember the win loss. I was the top pitcher after the fourth week, and then things started to fade a little bit. And um, yeah, and. And that was, and then, and then I ended up getting the job in Penticton. And so when I came, I attended a meeting at the the Gables Pub that night. And in fact, Greg Miller, Mike Rigby, and Roger Houle were at the desk that night. I believe they were all on the executive, and I just sat there and listened. And they said, "Well, we could have six teams, but we got four quali- we got three quality teams." But uh, they didn't want to bring teams in from a, a different league, and I don't know. Exactly. I think there was a secondary league at that time, and uh, they wanted to keep the league as high quality as they can. And they said we got all these decent players, but they they they're not on a team. So I thought, well, I'll phone them all. And that, then we had that that Andres team, and that was um, that, that that was not a good year for me, to be honest with you. But that it did it did put another team in the league, and it did make me some friendships too. And uh, the ones just mentioned, actually, Roger and. Uh, and Greg and, and Mike and people like that. But we'd put together a group that was, it was a pretty tough, we had Brent Brent Parker, Mark Hall, like a whole, whole bunch of players that were just picked up from all over the place. And they, it actually was a decent playoff run, uh, all because um, Greg Miller went on holidays in the playoffs. We were playing against them. And then um, we ended up in the final against Karameas. And Mike Rigby threw through a really good series. He beat Haywood in that one in the seventh game. But uh, that was a really strange year for me anyway. Then the next year I played in Summerland. 
But in between that time, there was a tournament out in Naramata, the Father's Day tournament, and I remember being on the air uh, one day there, and uh, our secretary said, Gene King, said, uh, Dennis, there's a guy on the phone from Naramata named Gary. He wants to talk to you. Can you talk to him? I'm on the air, of course. I said, oh, yeah, sure. I always took calls on the air. Still do. And uh, this guy named Gary Thompson, who I'd never met, he said, Dennis, I understand you're a pitcher. He said, we got a bunch of older guys want to come back and play in the Father's Day tournament. Would you come and throw for us? He'd never seen me throw in his life. I said, sure. So um, I guess in the bar, in the barley mill, they said, you need a pitcher. I bet you he'll go out there. <laughs> so I get out there, and uh, Steve Raptus was catching for me. He'd never met him either, one of those. Show up at the ballpark, and this Gary Thompson was very, very welcoming. I got there, and he said, Dennis, this is the, the team. We're a bunch of old guys. We don't know if we're going to do much this weekend, but uh, the guys wanted to get together and play again. So out we went, and... Uh, we lost, we lost, we were out in three games, but it, they were good games and a good bunch of guys. They're just really out of shape. <laughs> so we, we went through that weekend. At the same time, a couple of the guys in the league there said, you know what, we need pitching on one of the teams if you wanted to come out. So out I went through for the EPIAs. So I was on EPI out there and then playing for Summerland in town, which is kind of neat because on the off nights, it'd always be ready. And that kind of continued on for the years to follow. And, uh, yeah, the story goes on from there, of course, played for the interior roofing bulldogs at the end. And then, of course, in between, uh, I think my f- my favorite year was would have been 2003 or four when I got to pitch with Greg Miller with Frank Kansas' team. We went to the final against Sportstop. And uh, that was an interesting year because the league only had four teams that year, too. And uh, Greg Miller, always the power pitcher. But... Uh, I mean, I don't care if it's Roger Clemens. You see the same guys every night in a four-team league, and they, I believe they just, they saw Greg so many times. So we got to the playoffs, and they were down two games to nothing. They didn't hit Greg hard, but they enough to win. So the third game, Johnny Kant says, "Well, let's let's go with Dumas. Let's let's go with him tonight. Change of pace, and uh, we won. We took game three, and I, I never saw the mound again after that. Oh no, 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 wrong, wrong. So we win game three. It's two games to one, and I'm I'm thinking this is kind of neat." So Johnny says, start you in game four, too. I said, Johnny, don't go back to me right away. I wasn't competent in that. I said, go back to Greg now. They've seen the change of pace and that. He says, no, 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 we want to start you. Let's start you again. So so I go out for game four and third inning. Yeah, one base hit, another base hit, long ball. And uh, Greg comes in for me, cleans up. He, he, he gets us out of the inning and... Uh, and picks up the win. Now we're tied at two games apiece, and then it went back. I never saw, saw the mound. Saw, saw the mound again, that series. And then, um, yeah, game seven, uh, we we lost in a game seven, and it was kind of crappy because a couple of the guys had showed up with too many beer in them. And I thought, boy, what a way to go out. But uh, Kerry Woods had had a series that time. I, I he was, uh, I believe, he was the MVP for the playoffs, and he was on the losing team. He was playing second base, and he was hitting everything. And it was. Um, Mark Boland and Texi were throwing in that series for the other team. But that that was, for me, probably the most rewarding year that I had in the league. And then after that, I was finding it harder and harder. Uh, Once I was on the breakfast show and then we were laying off people in the newsroom, I had to get in extra, extra early for work. And uh, I just couldn't play the late games. And even the early games, I was just, I just felt like I was bushed. And I hate to play the age card, but all that stuff starts to happen. You get a little bit older. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, kept playing until I was 48 years old, really. And belie- I believe my last game was on the diamond. It was probably, it was it was at Penticton Indian Band Park. 
and uh, that was against Smoker and Ted. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting night. Uh, both pitchers are running late, so Kevin Gabriel started that evening, and uh, we got a few runs off him, and then they were getting a few runs off me, and Jason Conkergood came in and saved the day, but I believe I can say my last game anyways, I, I picked up a win, but uh, anyway, it was one of those those fun those fun times. But that's where Fastball takes us, and I'm happy to see the site we've got up right now for uh, Penticton Fastball Remembers. It's really neat to go back way before I ever got there and see some of the, the accomplishments there, especially the Barley Mill team, which I knew about because I'd go up and watch playoff games when I was living in Osuius, which is kind of neat. And uh, now here in Cranbrook, I find it pretty disappointing. I thought at this age in my life, at 58, I could go out after supper and watch a men's fastball game. And of course, nobody plays the game anymore. But here in Cranbrook, they've got a ladies team that um, they've got no one to play against, which is kind of interesting. So uh, the young catcher for the team, she, um, Allie, she catches for a couple of pretty good throwers. The two girls that do throw here, they were college ranked in the States. So that's kind of cool, but uh, went out the other day after not picking up a ball for 10 years and had a really good time with it, and that's that's where we're at now. And I might be pitching in a celebrity game that they're thinking about for raising money for the food bank, and if that's the case, I'll be glad to do that. Anyway, um, what we can do with this podcast, though, everybody, if, if you like, if you want to be on the other end and tell your story or want help telling your story, you can phone, and I can, I can record it here because I've got a basement studio, and because um, sometimes it helps to just have somebody to just banter back and forth with. I know that from being on the radio. So if you feel inclined to do so, why not? I'd like to hear all of your stories, I think, of some of the people that I played with along the way because they all have interesting ones, both at the ballpark and off. And um, one thing for sure, it'd be nice to maybe do a, a tribute podcast too to people like um, O.J. Larson and Barry Forner and, and Texie and people like that. So, I mean, it can go a lot more angles than just what happens at the ballpark and some of the things, the experiences that we have at tournaments and the goofy things that happen between games and all all the rest of it. Uh, We can share all that. Anyway, let's call that one podcast number one. And uh, thank you, everybody, for making me uh, feel welcome in that Penticton Men's Fastball League. Tried to give back as much as I could on the air with proper coverage and helping in the score area and for tournaments doing a little bit of... uh, uh, announcing just to try and and spike the game up a little bit and hopefully uh, somebody will pick up the ball and uh, and do it again someday but I've been really lucky to be able to play as much as I have and really playing at a level that's been above my head that's the one thing though I guess you always kind of need pictures anyway I'll take you out of here with the, just my uh, strum the mandolin a couple of chords for you but that's my hobby anyway and my wife and I have been in Cranbrook now for over five years now and uh Yeah, thanks for your friendship at the ballpark and uh, on the radio and the rest of it. Podcast number one, Penticton Men's Fastball League remembers. Today's show was recorded in the basement of my home studio at 1517 6th Street South, Cranbrook, B.C.